Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seven Hills Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gould. And with me today, as always, Joe Fondacaro, the owner and principal of Seven Hills Capital Advisors. Joe, you and I were talking just a little bit ago. We've got a big topic to talk about today. Maybe the biggest. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, quite honestly, one that I'll talk about and throw some things around, but quite honestly, I don't know nothing. (laughs) So maybe outside of healthcare, maybe the most confusing, complex industry of all. We're going to try to tackle the tech industry here today. We'll try to break it down into some bite-sized components, but it's a big subject. subject. And, And hopefully, you know, we'll take a stab at maybe making a little bit of sense out of it. So let's start right there. Let's try to make a little bit of sense out of it. Right. So how do we take this elephant and eat it in little bitty bites? Yeah. You know, Greg, the fascinating thing to me about the tech industry is that every other industry, at least from an investment perspective, we look at it in terms of, okay, how is it doing and what has it done for me lately? You know, when you look at your bank stocks or your healthcare companies or whatever else you've invested in, you're sort of looking at it like, well, how is it doing? What's it done? And how do I feel about it right now? But technology, we always seem to be focusing on where it's going. What's next? What's next? What's the next new thing? And the tech industry um, always has something dangling out there, Mm -hmm. the, the new shiny object, oftentimes something that very few of us can understand, but we're always taken by, well, what's next? And so much of the movement of the industry is talking about what is next. So I thought, you know, to the starting point is, well, what's happened in tech recently? Uh, so we cut through some of the hype and the and what's coming in the future and see, well, what's, what's going on in tech? And it, it's a wide landscape that covers both consumers and businesses. And there's so many facets there. But I think we can break it down just to see where are we. That sounds like a great place to start. Yeah. Like, what's happened up to now? Yeah. So looking at 2023, and I reviewed some recent publications from some of the larger business consulting firms. And the key one was one from KMPG. And um, they had a nice 2023 technology sector review. And again, breaking it down between consumers and businesses, looking at technology. So what happened last year? Overall, spending on technology remains very healthy. The overall spending by consumers was up only 0.2% in 2023. But for technology, it was up almost 2%, and it's forecasted to increase 3.7% this coming year. So people in the U.S. aren't spending a whole lot more than they did last year, but they are spending more on tech. And a 3.7 increase is significant, right? It really is. Yeah, it's it's a small percentage, you know, overall, but that is a significant amount. It is. KPMG discovered that in the U.S., consumer spending on technology is 31% of the overall technology industry. So consumers represent about $131 billion of technology spending. If you drill down into the numbers... Gaming subscriptions were expected to go 12% this coming year. So that's the fastest growing segment of the consumer technology spending is gaming. And 92% of U.S. adults use at least one video subscription service, either free or paid for. Guilty. Same here. (laughs) Uh, Probably I'm paying for more than I 
really know. Yeah. <laughs> but consumer spending still very robust for technology. What KPMG also discovered was that spending on devices has gotten a little flat. And I think that speaks to, well, once you buy a phone, you're not necessarily buying a new one every year, even if they come out with a new mm-hmm. one. Same thing for flat screen TVs, gaming devices, so on and so forth. So the buying of the actual devices is rather flat, but subscriptions, apps, software, and so on and so forth, still a very important piece of the building blocks for consumers. So it's, it's looking to grow again this coming year. Business is, of course, um, a very powerful consumer of technology. In fact, it's, it's very dominant. Global business spending in IT is expected to top $5 trillion in 2024, an increase of almost 7%. So a really robust increase in this coming year. Software and services alone account for $2.5 trillion of that. So half of IT spending is software and services. Looking out at the forecast, if you're looking at the tech industry, tech, very, very important and, and a high level of investment by every company because it's such an efficiency driver. That's what I was going to say is business invests in technology to increase efficiency, right? Yeah. So that's a driver of the tech industry. But that efficiency then is trickling down into whatever industry that company is in that's that's purchasing that tech. So it's it's like this compounding of that investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Companies are all trying to do more with less. They're not spending as much year over year, just like the consumer isn't. There is a talent gap out there. Firms are desperate for more talent. So technology is one way to fill the gaps there, increase profitability, again, as they just try to do more with less. Mm-hmm. So to your point there, very important. Those numbers are pretty interesting, Joe. So that's the overall spend. What is it that they're spending money on? You know, when we say, oh, this company is making an investment in technology, what is that? What are they investing in? Right. Mention that software and services are the key piece there. Over half of that going to software and services. Looking again at some of these figures here, spending on cloud and services in 2023 was up in the high single digits. Software alone was up 12.4%, and they're expected to increase another 12.4%. And spending on devices actually declined by 8%. So again, just like the consumer, they're not buying new devices, but the software helps keep the device up to date. Keeps it going. But device spending is expected to increase by 5% in 2024. So they're spending on cloud, on services, software. So all those things that keep improving the technology, keep improving the efficiency. It's interesting. One of the studies mentioned something called change fatigue. And that was the technology managers and chief technology officers of a lot of companies reported a lot of fatigue with trying to integrate new technology into their operations. So the software and the services makes it a little easier there because it's usually just some upgrade or enhancement to a system they're already using. So an interesting word, change fatigue. I may have to use that around the house a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. But again, cloud services software, huge beneficiaries of the overall technology budget by firms around the world. Just sort of an aside observation there, the number of companies offering those sorts of services, like companies that will help large software companies be third parties to help 
integrate or implement a, a software application, it seems like those numbers are exploding. They're exploding. And, you know, if you look at just the two main cloud players in enterprise right now, Microsoft and Amazon Web Services, Microsoft's Azure, their cloud service, a business of any size can use Azure in a cost-effective way. Our firm with, you know, our less than five employees uses Azure. But if you have a company with 120,000 employees, Azure is there for you. So these firms, these dominant firms in cloud and services have figured out a way to price it for a business of any size. So it's just a natural for for anyone to turn to them as an efficiency driver there. Hmm, that's pretty interesting yeah. that it's able to scale. Very much. Well, Joe, that's interesting that you just mentioned Amazon and Microsoft. So it seems like and and you've mentioned this in previous episodes, we can't really have a tech discussion right. without talking about, as you refer to them, as the Magnificent Seven, you know, Microsoft and Amazon being two of those seven. So just fill us in, get us caught up to date and explain the Magnificent Seven. Sure. The, so the Magnificent Seven, not sure who coined the term Magnificent Seven. It might've been Jim Cramer on CNBC, but anyway, they've become known now as the Magnificent Seven. So Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, which used to be Facebook, Microsoft, NVIDIA, the semiconductor firm, which is the newest kid on the block there, and Tesla. So the seven largest technology companies in the United States. And the numbers really are staggering. First of all, the size, right? So those seven firms represent $12 trillion in total market capitalization. That figure is larger than any single country outside the U.S., even China, which has a market cap of around $11.5 trillion, so it's close. Wow. But our top seven firms are bigger than any other country's stock market. It's about 35% of our own market cap, and that's in the S&P 500. So the other 493 companies in the U.S. share the other 65%. So an unbelievably large concentration, just seven companies. But the winner-take-all theme that we've talked about remains in place. Those Magnificent Seven were up an average of 111% last year. Apple was up 48%. That was the slowest gainer of them all. NVIDIA, because of the generative AI chip demand, was up 238%. A lot of those stocks were beaten down in 2022, so there was a lot of recovery to happen, but just some unbelievable numbers in terms of size, scale, and performance, really. So it's it's impossible to leave them out of the discussion at all. So just thinking about those Magnificent Seven, it seems like it's kind of a diverse group of companies. So yeah, we're talking collectively about tech, but you got things like Amazon and Tesla thrown in there that seem like radically different companies. Are there commonalities between those companies or distinctions or other than size, how do those those guys get grouped together? Right. So there are some commonalities and that is a fascinating side of it. The two that stand out really is that up until just fairly recently, all of them were founder led. When you said Apple, you thought Steve Jobs. Alphabet had three guys that really started it when it was Google. Amazon, Jeff Bezos, Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, Microsoft, Bill Gates. So usually it's a founder-led firm. 
And the second one is this winner-take-all dynamic. Now, they've all become the winner in their own segment of technology, Apple with the smartphone and all of the ecosystem around Mm -hmm. it, Alphabet initially in search and advertising, now in cloud, Amazon starting off in online retail, but now in cloud and actually starting to add a very robust advertising suite, Facebook, now Meta, social media, and now also advertising, Microsoft, really, I think the most dominant of all of them because of their presence in operating systems. And for all of the things that Microsoft does, there's still over 1 billion computers in the world that use Microsoft Windows operating systems. So they've captured that segment there. NVIDIA and Tesla, again, smaller segments there. NVIDIA with semiconductors, Tesla with they may be called an automotive company, but really they're, they are an automotive technology company that happens to manufacture cars, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the two commonalities there, I think, being founder-led mm-hmm. and the winner-take-all segment. So, Joe, when we, we talk about the Magnificent Seven, most of those, with maybe the exception of NVIDIA, everybody knows those companies, right? Microsoft, they didn't just like start up a couple of years ago. They've right. been around forever, it seems like. Apple's the same way. What's really contributing to their sustainability, their continued dominance of of this market? One of them is the stickiness of the technology. Once you get used to your phone or your operating system on your computer, you're rather loath to change, right? And as long as the company continues to make the experience top-notch, then you're a customer for life especially in the case of a business. If a business is using a certain suite of technology products, it's it's very hard for a business to change because now they have to go through all of the transition to get all their employees on a new system. They really don't want to do that. So the stickiness of the technology is, I think, first and foremost. But there are a few other things behind the scenes there that we can we can look to. One of the ones I think that doesn't get talked about very much is that all seven of these companies, especially Apple, Alphabet, and Amazon, all seven of these companies have an enormous stockpile of working capital into the billions. Amazon is the leader. They have $49 billion of working capital. All seven of those companies added together represent $181 billion of cash that they have on hand. Okay, This is really, I think, their biggest advantage. Except for Tesla, all of these companies don't really have a capital or an asset-intensive business. It's technology. And when they have that much capital, there are three things that they can do that other companies can't do. First of all, it's the ability to acquire smaller companies. So all of the smaller companies in a specific industry are really the test lab for these big firms. That allows them to reduce their spending on R&D. And they can just simply acquire a new or emerging company that has kind of proven a concept that might be already profitable, that's doing something better than they are. So that capital allows them to acquire rather than have to experiment. So that's a big one there. What it also allows them to do is to forego borrowing. So not having to go through the time and expense of issuing bonds, especially when we have interest rate changes where the cost of borrowing has gone way up. 
right? So it, it has no effect on them when they don't have to issue bonds. Now, Apple issued some bonds a few years ago, and that was a real head scratcher because if you're sitting on $30 billion of cash, why okay. are you issuing bonds? <laughs> but nevertheless, because of that capital strength, that allows them to stay on top of their whole industry. So not talked about as much, but I think that is that is one of the biggest reasons why they can stay dominant. They're just playing by a different set of rules when you have the cash to do it. So, huh? That's pretty fascinating, man. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're the 800 pound gorilla in the in the marketplace, right? Very true. And so, the whole concept of using smaller entrepreneurial companies as like your creative and test lab right. is, is kind of fascinating to me. Very yeah. much so. And there's a whole host of companies that are trying to get bought by them. Yeah. You know? That's right. That your whole business model, right? It's yeah. like, let me get to the point where one of these guys can buy me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so it, the competition to, to be Amazon or Alphabet or Microsoft's next acquisition is yeah. very robust. So it's playing into their hands really. So. Okay, so we I think we've got sort of caught up on where the tech industry is, particularly around these Magnificent Seven. What's next? Where are we going here? Yeah, so if it all looks good from a business standpoint, I think the only thing, the only issue there is that technology stocks have done so well, a lot of the best companies are rather pricey. So I think that's the only, that's one of the only risks that are kind of out there, I think, for us as investors is well, if, if we're buying these companies at, at these higher prices, are we setting ourselves up for a little loss or some volatility? I think we're going to see volatility anyway. One of the attributes of these companies in the Magnificent Seven is that because they are so visible, any misstep or any slight decline in earnings or really any headlines or bad news, it can mean some sell-offs there. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some volatility this quarter, sort of seeing that already a little bit. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw some volatility this quarter as people do some profit taking, sell some shares based on last year's terrific results. So you're always just going to have that volatility and maybe a little bit more so this year because they are rather expensive. Mm-hmm. But if we're looking at it from a pure business standpoint and profitability and cash flow, technology is still really as robust as it gets in the US market. So I, I think that whether the next few months are going to be kind to you or not, is anyone's guess, but I think the technology investor over the next five to 10 years should yeah. expect to do pretty well. So it sounds like despite their cost today, it might be still be a worthwhile investment over the long term. Very much so. Very much so. So stay patient. Don't expect them to hit a home run every single quarter, but nothing is out there that says, oh, there's a lot of cracks in the foundation in the US technology sector. Still a great place to be. That sounds great. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. It's been great talking to you today. Same here, Greg. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of the Seven Hills Podcast. For more information or to subscribe, visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Seven Hills Podcast. For more information or to subscribe, Visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for every investor and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. 
Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.